Welcome to episode 18 of Dirt Stories. COVID has changed our world forever. It's changed how we work, play, visit friends and family, live, and almost every other part of our lives. It's ha also had a big impact on many industries, large and small. Today, we're sitting down to chat with Sarah and Rob Winnie, owners of The Rise Firm. In a past interview about a year ago, which you can find on the Dozer blog under Dirt Stories, Sarah chatted with us about the importance of farmers markets and stalls in selling produce and staying connected to the community. We're following up with them a year after our last interview to see how COVID has impacted the small farm community, how they've been adjusting their business to deal with these global challenges and what the future holds for the Rise Farm and other small farms like it. Let's dive in. I'm so glad we could chat again and hear what's new with you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Should we just dive right in? By all means. Awesome, let's do it. So for our listeners that haven't um, read your story on the Dozer Hub, haven't heard our Rise Farm original dirt story from last year, why don't we kick things off and have you give us a quick overview about who you are uh, and what the Rise Farm is and does. Well, we're Rob and Sarah Winnie, and uh, we started a small diversified livestock farm in Godfrey, so that's uh, north of Kingston, um, mainly focused on direct-to-consumer uh, meat products. Tell me a little bit about how the two of you started the Rise Farm. I know I know a little bit of the backstory, I'm lucky, but can you fill our listeners in a little bit on how you met and how you got started? Yeah, of course. Um, so Rob and I actually met at a friend's destination wedding in the Dominican um, and sort of hit it off immediately. And as soon as we got back, sort of dove into camping every weekend. And we did a road trip out east with our dogs in a van and just started getting more interested in um, eating good quality food and experiencing the different ways we could get it, going to small butcher shops, what was available in the grocery store. And from that, um, decided that we wanted to invest in something that was our own longer term. So we started looking at properties, thinking that it would be somewhere to camp or build something eventually. And then um, just things sort of started to fall into place and we decided that we were going to uh, move up here permanently instead of just coming up for weekends all the time because um, it's hard to you know have chickens and actually grow things if you're only doing it on a weekend basis um, and then yeah we quit our jobs and sold our house and decided to do a uh, full-time trying to start a farm. I love that that's wild. <laughs> yeah what a story. That's very romantic. It's very, it's been a lot of hard work, but yeah, that's sort of, that's the gist of it. And then we figured the best way uh, that we could eat the kind of food that we wanted to was to be able to uh, raise it ourselves. Nice. Yeah. So, so today we're talking all about small farms. We're going to touch a little bit on COVID and how that's played a role. Were your backgrounds in farming prior to starting the Rise Farm? <laughs> not not one little bit. Um, 
I, I've always had reptiles as pets, so kind of uh, had a little zoo running in uh, in in my parents' house in my room, and then uh, in my own house. But uh, as far as uh, this kind of thing, no, we we didn't have any uh, background in that at all. Yeah, we both had office jobs. What a transition! <laughs> There's not a lot of half measures when it comes to doing stuff with animals, right? So you can uh, you can do it as a hobby farm um, like mentality, or you can actually try and provide food for other families, and and that's the direction that we wanted to go. Yeah, I remember last time we were talking uh, when we were writing about you on our blog. You're you're big advocates for the farm to table um, notion that you know we can promote the idea of eating food that actually looks like food. We can be smarter about what we're putting into our bodies. That's something that is a huge driver behind the rice farm. Is that right? Yes. The, uh, the, the biggest thing for the farm to table movement is, uh, is providing another avenue for people to actually get food, um, like outside of the, the, um, the mainstream system, right? Like farmers markets are one way, but as, farmers markets get bigger than like even the representation that's there isn't necessarily like it's obviously food coming from a farm but it not might not be the farmer that you're buying that food from is the one that's actually growing it or or producing it right interesting so i want to dive into to small farming in a little bit and get some more details from you too i'm curious to learn a little bit more i want to take a step back when we talked to you just over a year ago um, I believe, Sarah, we were talking to you and you were confident that the future of farming is going to be female, ideally one day. <laughs> well, I still do. I know I was just uh, looking back over the interview from last year and thinking of how much things have, you know, stayed the same, but so much has changed. Um, obviously, I still think that that is a huge driving force behind like the current, especially small scale movement in farming. Um, but I think that in the current context of what's happening in the world with COVID and Black Lives Matter and sort of recognizing um, privilege and where you sort of fall in the system that I think that it's a matter more now of having um, an inclusive farming system and realizing where your uh, avocados actually come from and who's growing everything that we consume um, and sort of realizing also how critical and crucial farming is to our system. I think that we've sort of seen with COVID how things can, you know, now it's just toilet paper and that's a little bit more of a joke than <laughs> if you can't get food through the supply chain, you know? Um, so I think that, uh, I know I was trying to think of one word that would encompass what I think that the future is, but um, crucial, critical, pivotal, integral, uh, yeah, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, um, for sure. I want to, I want to dive into that a little bit because COVID has, clearly this isn't the year we were all expecting and it's ch changed and affected quite a few businesses. As a small farm, how has COVID specifically impacted you? Uh, a lot more people are taking more of an interest in smaller scale producers, uh, at least in the in the, the short term. Anyways, how that'll translate beyond is uh, is something that we've all got to wait and see. But 
the the problem with with everybody jumping headfirst into it, it it throws the small scale producers supply chain all out of whack from uh, the hatcheries that are hatching the birds that aren't going into the mainstream system. So these are all people like us that can do under 300 birds, uh, like meat chickens, to the artisan uh, licensed producers that can do up to 3,000. Um, like all those birds are all coming from hatcheries that are outside of uh, like the, the main big system. So that kind of up jump in production is hard for them. And then downstream from that, you've got more people buying specific types of feed for animals that year over year you wouldn't have. And then at the end of the, uh, the life cycle, when it needs to go to, to be uh, uh, processed, there's a very, very limited number of abattoirs and even less that do poultry. So that kind of up jump in everybody trying to buy small scale agriculture, there isn't the, the infrastructure left to, to facilitate it anymore. We, we've lost so many of our abattoirs in Ontario in the last 15, 20 years. It's something like 85% of them are gone. And that's not something that can just be turnkey solutioned into, uh, you know, we've got more, more right. skill now, so we need more abattoirs. Uh, mm. Backwards, it just doesn't exist anymore. There's new regulations that force most of them to close. So it, it just, like, for it's one thing for for one summer or one one season for everybody to be interested in small scale agriculture but if the small scale producers invest more into production and then that interest wanes next year because there's no more uh covid or there's no more like it just disappears as, as from people's minds it, it's just going to leave the small scale producers now with a heavier burden that uh, they might not be able to 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 put up with it, it, there's a lot of dominoes in food in, in food uh, production that all have to be lined up properly to to go from farm to table. Mm -hmm. Like a head of lettuce is one thing, but when you're talking about an animal, it has to be uh, processed at a licensed facility. So there's still only certain amounts of of slots each each processing day, and most of them will only process stuff once a week. Mm -hmm. So what kind of what kind of pivots are you making as owners of the farm and farmers because of the COVID impact? For us in particular, we were already positioning to, to be growing, right? Because we're a new, uh, a new farm. And one of our, our uh, goals was to not go heavy into debt to do anything. It, it makes it grow with your customer base. And uh, when you're producing something like food, it's much better to tell them, you know, it's out of stock for the season rather than to hold on to extra product uh, that you may or may not sell. So jumping in uh, without having any background or like we're also transplants in the area. So our customer base would be more in Toronto, but that's three hours each way. That's a, that's a long drive to drive them uh, farm fresh product. And at that point, is it really local? <laughs> it's local Ontario, but it's uh, yeah. it's very area. So, like we we were definitely um, thinking of growing and how we could grow before this. And it, like I said, it is great that everybody's uh, that everybody's jumped on to like thinking about where their food does come from in more of a specific sense. But that has to continue all the way through 
to actually change the system that we've got in place now. So for us, we're, we're still just, you know, slowly and organically growing what we're, uh, what we're set to produce. Mm-hmm. And when you start with baby animals, everything's going to take time and seasons to, to get big to reproduce anyways, right? So we're, we're kind of in on the ground floor of, of growing as well as everybody else trying to, to see how, how much they need to pivot to, to supply the new demand. Yeah. If it continues. Lots of big concerns coming up for farmers that maybe weren't necessarily things to think about before. Mm-hmm. Or things that I think uh, have really become highlighted uh, in the past couple of months. Concerns that have been sort of uh, like with the process, like the abattoirs, it's something that the government's been working at for numerous years, sort of chipping them away by increasing the regulations, basically making it impossible for them to exist or reopen to uh, fix things. Uh, So it's really high, this, um, we were aware that that was an issue when we went into this. um, And that has, you know, hours of discussion between us about which direction you wanna go, knowing that if it continues in the future, um, the availability of processing plants, where does that sort of leave small scale agriculture? Now the thing is, is sort of for, we feel like it's our responsibility to communicate that to our customers so that people understand it. So that when there is legislation that comes through, it's not just something that people are ignorant of or don't pay attention to, but that it is a real concern if people are uh, worried about where their food is coming from. So speaking of where food is coming from, last time we talked, we, we spoke a lot about the value of local markets and getting your products and your produce yep. in the hands of the public. COVID clearly has changed how that's working from the consumer perspective, and I'm sure as well for you. Can you tell me a little bit more about the, the impact that that's had on, on farming and where local markets still fit in or if they even do? Yeah, of course. Um, So as we talked about last year, our big plan this year, um, we are sort of ramping up to participate in our like first season of farmers markets. We did one event, um, a homegrown in Frontenac event in uh, September of last year. And it was, uh, I think we were a little surprised at how successful it was and people really connected to us. So yeah, we were really looking forward to that. Without that, I think that a lot of farms have been utilizing social media and the internet to connect with uh, customers and increasing their farm gate pickup, which is a great thing, right? It allows customers to come to the farm, see where they get their food, and it's very easy to do a contactless pickup, right? Like a cooler waiting, you sanitize the cooler at the end of your driveway, customers can feel comfortable with that. We also sort of are fortunate in that we have always used social media as our biggest form of communication with our customers. So because of our uh, work into steadily growing that community, we already um, had high contact interactions anyways. Um, So with the fact that we are so small scale, basically increased demand has been one of the positive outcomes, but the double edged sword of it for most small scale farmers is that they can't keep their freezers full because of the interests in local uh, agriculture. 
Yeah. Isn't that wild? I think it's fascinating the shift that's happening because of the pandemic and people wanting to get their, their food locally. They want to know where it's coming from, what, what's going into produce or whatever that looks like, because that's a huge, now that we're thinking about disease in a different way too, I think that's a huge concern for people and the food they're eating. Yeah. And I don't think you know, a lot of people don't think about when you look at your plate and you've opened a whole bunch of packages, like where that food came from, like where was it manufactured? Where was it grown? Was it just packaged in one place? And you know what I mean? You don't really take the time to think about it, but with just a little tweak, we can make really big changes um, from the purchasing power of customers. Yeah. The thing about small scale agriculture is it can't, it can't currently supply the demand of the food that we need to, to feed everybody. So it, it's just a section of, of the, the pie. It's not, it, it won't be the full thing because at the end of the day, you're still going to need somebody farming a thousand acres of corn or wheat or, or oats or barley to feed the livestock, to feed everything else. And to do that on a small scale isn't feasible. Like nobody's going to be going out there with a, with a scythe and, and doing an acre of wheat for their chickens to, to raise up chickens for, uh, for the public, right? It's still just a piece of the, the, the food system, but food security comes in having more avenues to get people food, right? So there's ways of farming a whole bunch of different things in a whole bunch of different locations. Um, and small scale agriculture can play a part of that, but only if it's facilitated the entire way down the chain. And like the difference between a meatpacking plant and a, and a local abattoir is the immense scale. Like small scale producers don't inject animals into the mainstream food chain. It's, it's either going to auction and going to a feedlot that then is going into a, a large scale packing plant, or it's going from the, from the farmers to the abattoir and then they're collecting their own uh, processed meat back and selling it direct to consumers or markets that way. Um, and the fact is that there just isn't enough trained people left uh, to do the, the butchering and the cutting um, and facilities to have that happen. Like there's hours of driving in between the closest facilities. Right. I wanna back up a little bit because today we're talking specifically about small farms. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your definition or your insight into what is a small farm? I think a small farm is something that's mainly focused on getting the food from the farm directly to the consumer with as little middlemanning as possible. Um, like small scale definitely covers a, a, a large amount of farms just because you can still be small scale in a family farm and be farming a thousand acres of various products and animals. Um, or you can be right down to us ultra small scale with two people doing all of the work, majority of it by hand and um, not supplying any uh, restaurants or markets at, at the present, but you're, everything that you're selling is going directly to a customer. Um, so small scale to me is uh, anything that doesn't um, supply the mainstream food chain. And because there's less middle men, as you were saying, between yourselves and your consumers, um, have you noticed, I guess, especially with the pandemic, are you 
focused in a specific area geographically around your farm? Has that changed at all because of COVID? Um, so we are in Godfrey, which is just outside of Kingston um, in Frontenac County. And we happen to live in a very uh, supportive small farming community. Like there's a lot of um, small scale as well as like larger farms but a lot of small scale farms in the area um, that are very supportive of each other. It's interesting to me because farming especially when you think about small farming you're you're focused in the area around your farm so are you working with local markets then and local are you working with restaurants what does that look like? Most most restaurants for, like by and large, don't actually deal with small-scale producers. They need uniform product. Um, obviously, like there's a vast different kinds of, of restaurants that that are going to do special menus and stuff like that and uh, lower volume. But anything that's high volume, you you need the product to be uniform and consistent uh, as far as like delivery times and everything else, because like that affects how they're going to cook it. So people that are as small as us don't really look towards uh, like going after restaurants, especially established ones. Right. Um, you know, it, there's, there's room for everybody, but that, that particular segment isn't really for us just because uh, of their requirements. Mm -hmm. like markets are a different thing, but even that uh, there's, I think what three, four farmers markets in this, in this area uh, that either are still running or running at a different capacity than before. Uh, but that that's a large amount of time commitment as well. Yeah, so what we've tried to focus on, obviously COVID has switched it a little bit, but what we want is people to come to our farm so they get to see where their food is grown, how we do it, and can ask any questions that way. Um, and, you know, uh, we love the idea of the farmer's market, but we like I said, live in an area where there's a lot of um, farms doing similar, but like slightly different because we all do a little bit of something in a different direction. But um, we feel that having people come to our farm is the is going to be the most successful business route for us, um, which is why we use uh, Instagram and Facebook so much to communicate with customers on like, how we're growing things, what we cook, how we use herbs from our garden, like in all of our food um, and having it go that way. Um, yeah, the time commitment with farmer's markets also is, a, is something that we uh, have discussed between the two of us. What, like, because of what we do, we are basically meat products. Um, it's a lot of you don't want to be carrying your product without guaranteed sales or pickups in the middle of summer back and forth to farmers markets. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we want to encourage people to see why, what it is when we talk about how we graze the animals and why we put them in different places. And I think when people come to the farm and see that they really connect with it and it sort of switches your whole idea about how you think about the food that you're eating. And we also deliver in the local area as well. So, uh, you know, especially after, after people have seen uh, where we are and what we do, then uh, it's a lot easier to, uh, 
take orders and just drop them off on our on our on our errands kind of thing like for us we're, we're ultra small scale so we uh we, we maintain just we'd rather have that direct connection with who is is buying our product right right so that's a good a good introduction into something i want to talk about covid has brought a lot of changes i want to talk about the positive changes or outcomes because i do think it's important to highlight business pivots that maybe have changed for the better or maybe you've learned something along the way can you tell our listeners a little bit about your business or small farming in general and any positive outcomes from the pandemic that you've seen or experienced so i'll start with that um and again to sort of bring it back to uh our social media community but especially with covid and things feeling so overwhelming for so many people stuck at home we made a big effort to uh post a lot of stories and like you know share our day from sort of sunrise to sun up and we had so many customers message us or like people in our community message us just saying that seeing all the animals um, and everything like progress in the garden and the ups and downs and trials and tribulations had been the hot is like the highlight of their day you know like then and that really makes it seems silly but makes us, me feel really proud that people are connecting with what we're doing and it's making them think about things a different way and from that we've had a couple of local customers which is the base that we're trying to grow contact us and say sort of like hey we follow you on instagram do you think we could place an order so for that um connection to the customer it's been a it's been a really nice um result of a trying time right i think one of the other positives that came out of it is uh with the extra time that people had especially near the beginning when everybody was uh raiding the raiding the grocery stores for yeast and flour and uh, and getting into baking and, and slower <laughs> slower foods um like that's one of the benefits is people started actually cooking again and not like, anything that you're buying from a direct uh, farm to consumer uh, avenue is going to be a whole food so a whole chicken or or a half of the chicken or it, it's not going to be as processed and as packaged as people were were used to as far as convenience shopping um, so sure. that that gave uh, a lot more um, benefit to people producing that meat that that is actually meat that's not actually pre-cooked or or uh, you know fussed with too much and uh that that should be a positive going forward that it's not that intimidating to take a raw food and, and cook it for yourself yeah i agree with that you know it's interesting even just my personal experience with the pandemic cooking at home became a much larger part i you know i'm guilty i love going out to eat and one of the things that i found is not only am i learning more about how to cook foods that I love and how to embrace local foods, but also that health conscious part of it has become a part of my lifestyle now. And now I want to know where is my meat coming from? What's in it? It's, it makes a huge, huge difference. And I think that's something that will probably never change for us as a community and just the broader world in general. I think people are looking at those ingredients and they're looking at their food with a completely different lens than they ever were. 
Yeah, and you know, part of the thing is that people, we hope that people, you realize how much better it tastes and that it's not complicated to buy something from a farmer or to make it yourself, that it really doesn't take that much more effort. It's a matter of, you know, my sister, for example, is always like, oh, you, you know, you spend so much time cooking and all that. And it's, <laughs> just looks complicated because you've put a little bit of thought into it but you, we put so much time and effort into so many things that what you're consuming is a great way to spend a little bit of time right like with your family like teach your kids how to do it um and through it we sort of came up with our new sort of slogan of like eating different right like eat different just think a little differently tweak your prep time and all those sorts of things and think ahead because it is important to nourish your body so that you can get through the day so to think that you know you're gonna have chicken in two days so you take it out of your freezer to defrost it shouldn't be an intimidating prospect and that that's a lot of it as well because you're you're not able to just go to the grocery store buy it cut the exact way you want wrapped in styrofoam and cellophane and uh and a whole bunch of waste to go with that um yeah you might have to pull out that that chicken two days early and you, you can you can still you know cut the pieces off that you want and freeze the rest it's still food safe to do that the chicken that you buy in the grocery store has had that done to it already you just didn't have the control behind it so that, that's a lot of the the planning into a meal and it eat different also like encompasses how you would buy it like again if you're not going to the grocery store buying that one little piece that's that's you're gonna cook that night that means yeah you're gonna you might need to meet up with somebody a farmer in a parking lot that's got your uh, your frozen meat in a cooler and uh you know you're still exchanging direct with the farm um but it's different than what most people would have done recently you know like you're going back to how like maybe not our parents but our parents parents would get their meat and that would entail you know as long as you're still in the right generation a chest freezer so that way you've got your protein already secured and uh, all you're worried about is everything else to go with it speaking of coolers i want to talk a little bit about what's <laughs> to come specifically our winter season here that we love in Canada and Ontario. What does small farming look like in the winter and has the pandemic changed that for you? It looks like carrying buckets of water over frozen water. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, I'm gonna let Rob take this one again, just because he was in charge of uh, securing our hay for this year, which was our biggest our biggest thing to check off before winter before winter comes. Well, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna feed grass grass eating animals in Canada in the winter and you uh, don't have a thousand acres to let them paw through the snow, you're you're gonna need hay one way or the other. So. For small-scale producers, your choice is pretty much make it or buy it. And uh, if you don't have the land to graze and and uh, make hay, then you know we, we had to we had to buy thirty thousand pounds of hay to to keep our thirty to forty head of uh, of livestock through the winter. Uh, and this year, 
regardless of COVID, it was a dry year for most of the hay growing season. So that lends to a shortage uh, for people that usually make hay for themselves and then sell the extra. There's just not that extra flowing out there. Right. What are some, cons some key considerations for keeping a farming business running smoothly year round? Well, so one thing that we are working on sort of introducing right now is um, some, you know, value added products um, that sort of like we can produce from our farm that complement the meats and everything else that we're already doing. Um, so having like increased product that's available, um, not just when you're relying on the processing dates now, sort of what we come into in this type, this part of the year is, as Rob was talking about before with the increased demand on the abattoirs is that you can have animals ready to go for processing and harvest, but there's no spots to have it. So um, this year is gonna look a little different for us um, because normally you'd be January, February, March, I always say are like the hardest, coldest months, but you're already looking towards spring because you're starting seedlings and getting everything ready for like your garden. But this year, um, because of those limited slots at the abattoir, we have a couple of dates in September and then we don't have any more until December. So December, January, February is going to be busy for us with having restocked freezers that we've never had before because typically animals would all be processed in the fall. So we, for the past two years, have had our animals done in sort of September and then by December we're sold out of everything, waiting for the spring to start again. But this year um, is going to look a little bit different and it's going to be cold now that I'm thinking about it and icy. And <laughs> yeah, it's cold, but that's the one thing that's I've come to appreciate so much this year in our third season, taking a little bit of time to see you know, how the, the flowers come up in like their, the, you know, the order that they come up in and how everything grows at a certain time where you can utilize them, but how you're always kind of looking towards the next season, right? So even on those like beautiful, hot, sunny days, like you're always kind of thinking about like, you know, what's coming with the, all of the fall harvest and then what comes with winter, like Another thing we had to do this year is we, well, didn't have to, but we chose to purchase all of our winter wood in logs. So we had, it seems like a thousand logs delivered that Rob's <laughs> been chopping up, but I'm sure, I'd, um, but a driveway is full of logs because our house is only wood stove through the winter. Oh, okay. So every day, yeah. So like, you know, always looking for that next thing and I think that this year that was the one thing that sort of saved me through the winter was like you know having those little seedlings growing and thinking and planning your garden and then all of a sudden it's like spring and now all of a sudden it's almost fall again yeah isn't that crazy yeah <laughs> time where does it go I, <laughs> the enigma that it is yeah okay Sarah I'm gonna put you on the spot because we asked you this last time Finish this sentence. The future of farming is? Uncertain yet crucial. Ooh, that was a good answer. <laughs> um, 
you know, just so many variables in our region, there seems to be a lot of increased awareness about the concerns with the abattoirs. Um, and I know sort of we keep harping on that, but it really is a scary thing to think about that if they all close, it means that no small scale farm can exist without submitting or having their animals go through a larger industrial farming system. Um, mm -hmm. I'm certain. Yeah. You know, it's, I think farming is going to be crucial because of what we talked about earlier. People are looking for, they want to know where their food's coming from and people are cooking more at home and even in, you know, I live in Waterloo, I've seen a tremendous amount of um, awareness, I would say, in local farms and even local markets too. And people, people wanting to go out more to source their own food and, and be better educated, I guess, on where they're getting their food from. That's what I was just going to say, like, encourage, we hope people continue to be encouraged to ask questions, like ask questions at your, wherever you're getting things, because farmers are happy to tell you. And I think that people just don't really think about it. And buying directly from a farm is obviously the best, we're going to say the best thing, but it really does connect you with what you're putting in your body to nourish yourself to live every day. So it's definitely something that you should take the extra effort to think about. I like that. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with before we sign off about your farm or small farming or the future of farming? Uh, I think that uh, accessibility is, uh, is the main thing that people need to think about going forward when you're dealing with small scale agriculture and you don't want to be part of the big food system like everything costs a small-scale farmer a lot more than it costs a large-scale farmer what you make isn't uh, isn't really important um, as far as like compensation goes but it, it's only it's only a relevant solution to to the food system if everybody can partake in it so uh, if there's more abattoir slots opened up for more small-scale farmers that means that it's not a premium product it's a normal product and that's one of the things that we try and uh, impress upon people that even though our chicken will cost more than the grocery store chicken um, like the only way to drive that price back down is to have more options of people doing it uh, and doing it legally so everything uh, everything that's regulated adds another adds another cost to it so I think we just encourage people to like, if you follow that farm on Instagram and they're in your area, ask them what they sell and how you can get it. And if the websites are too confusing and you don't understand buying half an animal or what cut and wrap means or what hot hanging weight means, just ask because farmers are more than happy to talk about it and explain it to you and why things are worded the way they are. Um, and also just to obviously always shop local, shop seasonal also, because 
peppers don't grow all year in all regions all the time, right? And make sure you are buying that like Canadian product or that Ontario product. Like we're lucky we live in Ontario. Foodland Ontario does an amazing job promoting seasonal vegetables um, and sort of thinking of things that way. And also thinking of animals, you know, they need time to grow, not just, not everything is instantaneous and that there's benefit to, to waiting for things, right? Mm-hmm. I like that. And I'm glad you said, you know, we want people to reach out with questions because I think a lot of the time you just don't know what you don't know. And we need to keep educating ourselves on the value of, of getting our, our meat locally and getting our food locally and not being afraid to ask those questions. Yep. And obviously always buy Canadian. They're starting to put the leaf on everything. So it makes it easy for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you guys? You can find us at The Rise Farm on Instagram and Facebook, as well as we'll be participating in the Frontenac County Open Farms events at openfarms.com in the month of September through October. Thanks again, and looking forward to chatting with you guys sometime soon. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. You can find more dirt stories at dozer.com slash blog or follow us at dozerhub on Instagram. We love chatting with business owners and hearing their stories. If you or someone you know has a dirt story to share, send us an email, dirtstories at dozer.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Becca Grieb and I'll see you next week.